Welcome to Your Path to Nonprofit Leadership, the weekly podcast that features the very best in productivity and career development in the nonprofit sector. I'm your host, Patton McDowell, and happy to give you actionable ideas to elevate your current or perhaps your future nonprofit organization. Thanks for listening. If you're a current nonprofit leader or perhaps hope to be one, you're in the right place. I'm glad to bring you these weekly conversations with nonprofit experts who are really on the cutting edge of our sector. If you would, do me a favor, share this episode with one other person so that we can continue to build a global community focused on nonprofit leadership. Well, I had a great conversation in this episode with Sybil Ackerman Munson, who brings fantastic experience both as a former nonprofit executive herself but also as a consultant now working with high net worth individuals and foundations, helping them determine their philanthropic priorities and how to best implement them. Of course, this close connection to the donors themselves has allowed Sybil to understand the specific motivations that drive them and how some nonprofit leaders succeed in making a meaningful connection and others really miss the mark. Sybil has reviewed hundreds of appeals and applications for funding on behalf of her clients, and she sees exactly what works and, frankly, what doesn't. And what makes this episode so valuable is that she gives us a framework to distinguish the three types of donors that are out there and how you can effectively identify which type your prospects and donors are and, more importantly, how to engage them. Lots of good takeaways here, so don't forget to check out the show notes This is episode number 107. Just go to the podcast or the news page at PattonMcDowell.com and you'll find all of the resources that Sybil and I discuss, as well as more information on the great work she's doing through her company called Do Your Good. Speaking of resources, go to our website and connect with us. Make sure you're on our email list so you can get free weekly resources just like this episode of our podcast, as well as other material that can help you and your nonprofit build a strategic plan, maybe re-engage your board, or perhaps we can help you determine the next step on your nonprofit leadership journey through our coaching, training, or one of our unique mastermind programs. Without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Sybil Ackerman Munson. Sybil, thank you for joining me on the path. I'm so happy to be here, Patton. Thanks for inviting me. Well, I'm excited about this conversation. You and I have had some preliminary chats about the great work you're doing. And of course, you've had a wonderful leadership journey. And you've been able to literally see all sides, I think, of nonprofit organizations, in particular, effective nonprofit leaders, especially as they try to engage the key donors in their organization. And you've worked with a lot of these key donors. So excited for you to share your wisdom there. But let me start with that, Sybil. What of all the great things you've done, is there one thing that stands out? Are you particularly proud of in the work you're doing, both with funders and maybe in particular nonprofit leaders? Oh, gosh, I'm so glad you're asking this question. I, um, I just, the thing that wakes me up in the morning and gives me motivation is really supporting nonprofits that I care about. I mean, every single day, you know, I work for donors. I work for people that want to give money to nonprofits. 
and to support them, but they don't always know exactly how to do it. Um, and since I came from the nonprofit world, what is makes me so inspired is being able to support the nonprofits that I actually used to work with. Um, and I even still give grants now to a group that I used to be conservation director for. So that's the thing that gives me so much happiness every day is to really be a conduit between these amazing people that are doing amazing things every day and to support donors who are great people who care about the world and want to make a difference by giving to these nonprofits. So it's just so much fun. I have to tell you, I love what I do. <laughs> I can tell. And, and it really is a wonderful service you provide. You're bridging that philanthropic gap sometimes between these funders who want to do good and of course, these organizations that are indeed accomplishing good. Um, why did you, Sybil, let me ask this biographical question. What prompted the jump, if you will, from working as a nonprofit leader to working with funders? Well, I guess you can say that um, it, it didn't, it happened sort of happenstance, right? Um, you don't go to school thinking, oh, yes, I will be a funder or I work for funders. It's just right. not really a career path, right? When I was in school, my, my dream was to like be conservation director at a nonprofit. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to work in the nonprofit world. And then when I started doing that, I got to know donors. I got to know them super well, and they started funding the work I was doing, right? And so what happened was one of the donors that was funding my work, and he was so supportive, like I had different jobs and he would fund the different projects I did in all the different places I was. We really got along super well. And then one day he brought, pulled me aside and he said, Sybil, I no longer want to be like the executive director of my foundation, which means he was out there trying to figure out which grants to do. He's like, I want to be a more traditional trustee. Will you run my foundation? Wow. And I said, oh my gosh, I would love to do that. Of course, I <laughs> yes. should have asked a few more questions. <laughs> yeah. Be careful what you wish for, right? Exactly. I was like, oh, I've been a nonprofit person for like over a decade. I know how to give money away. No, 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 I didn't wow. know that. But I was really super lucky because um, the that person who's the trustee and his whole family is just fabulous. And I still work with them today, even though I now have my own business working for many, many families. Um, my original family is still there with me um, and I still help them give grants in the Pacific Northwest in the United States. So fantastic, Sybil. And again, it, I think it heightens kind of the credibility you bring to this conversation because you have worked in both arenas. And of course, you're working with a lot of talented but busy people. You and I both connect with nonprofit leaders that sometimes are almost overwhelmed. I wonder, have you or the folks you've worked with found any particularly helpful ways to stay organized when we're you know, having a lot of balls in the air? Well, you know, there's so many different things that that we do. Um, gosh, the first thing is just sort of personally how I I try to be organized. And I don't I have to tell you, Patton, that, you know, I'm not I'm so not perfect. Right. I mean, all of us are so busy. <laughs> I've so. not had a guest yet that has uh, achieved <laughs> complete I've success own here. That, right. But here's my my goal. Um, the first thing is, you know, I manage, you know, I'm right now in the middle of what I call docket time, which is I'm working up dockets for the families I work for, which is like a portfolio for the families and the trustees 
to suggest how they should give their money away, right? And every spring and every fall, it's super busy because I'm managing a lot of these dockets. And so what I try to do to keep organized, and I really try hard to keep organized in a way that supports the nonprofits that the folks I work for want to fund. What I try to do is I try to schedule out if if I'm doing need to do one-on-one meetings with the nonprofits specifically about the proposals they have in front of the people I'm working for, right? I try to schedule out one-on-one meetings. Um, I try to give the nonprofits questions ahead of time if I feel it'll be helpful. It depends on the nonprofit, though. Sometimes, if the nonprofit is super busy, I won't send them questions ahead of time, but I'll set up a 30 minute meeting or an hour long meeting because I don't want, I won't send the questions if I think that they're going to obsess about the questions. Right. You know? right. Like, Hey, let's, I just want to chat. I don't care if you don't know the answers, <laughs> but I'll, I, I know there's some things that the folks I work for will ask. So I, that's the first thing I try to do is set out my appointment schedule way in advance. And I also try to make sure that I have my recommendations and the ideas of where my recommendations will be at least two to three weeks before an actual trustee meeting so that I can go back and forth with the trustees if they have outstanding questions prior to the meeting. And that allows me then also to go back to the nonprofits if there's some key questions the trustees have. Because what I find is at the actual trustee meeting, it's most helpful for the organizations that are in front of the trustees to have most of the questions answered they may have prior to the meeting. So that's key is like really a lot of organization before the meeting to support the nonprofits and help them come forward to the trustees in the best light possible. It's really good advice, Sybil. And I was guilty. You know, I put the deadline on my calendar or I put the trustee meeting on my calendar but it sounds like you've obviously taken it to a different level and thinking or working backwards from those deadlines and putting other things on the calendar to make sure we hit the finish line in a successful manner. Uh, and I wonder if a lot of nonprofit leaders back themselves into that corner without the clarity of calendaring that you do. Well, and Patton, that's one piece of little suggestion I have too, as somebody who manages these massive (laughs) amounts of dockets and organizations and proposals and things like that. Um, One thing I do find is that the nonprofits tend to enter their proposals like right up against the deadline and, um, and, or they might miss it and go over by a day. And, And one word of caution I have is it's really great if they plan and maybe submit a day or two ahead because the trustees and myself, we're looking at those earlier than when they're due. Absolutely. And if you bring them in early, it's a little tip. It's it's really helpful for you. It looks really good. And and then it also means that you sometimes will be able to review yours without, you know, sometimes we'll have 30 proposals coming in all in one day. But if you'd sent yours in a couple of days ahead, I might've been able to peek at yours earlier and I'm fresher then. So it's, it's really nice to be able to do that. Although I do try to make sure that I time it out. So I'm reading proposals when I'm fresh. I like do one to two hour chunks of time rather than sit down for eight hours or something like that. Makes total sense. But in it again, I know you're going to give consideration to everyone that meets the deadline, but your yes. advice is a good one. If I'm last in line, I may not get the foundation or funders best view. And mm-hmm. so you're right. It, it just seems to me natural that I should put an artificial deadline if I have to on my calendar and get it to you three days, one week in advance or whatever, 
and it it's a good segue, Sybil, to my first question to you. You you know these nonprofit leaders with which you work are well intentioned and they have good causes, but I'm guessing you also see some of the perhaps mistakes that are made that they don't articulate well, or maybe let's talk about that. What things do you see or some of the challenges nonprofit leaders face or mistakes they make in terms of reaching out to funders that you work with? Sure, we can. We, let's talk about mistakes. Let's start with like the positive because the first thing I want to say is, gosh, I should have counted before I podcast, but I, I process, a uh, process might be the wrong word too, but I work on and really delve into probably over 100 to 150 proposals a year, maybe more. Wow. And um, I have to say that so many people get it right. And I'm proud of that because of my deep, it's, I feel like it's because of their deep relationship with me. You've helped them. And right? yeah. yeah, I love that. And that's when it clicks, when it works really well. And I'm able to have these pre-calls with them. And, and sometimes the grantees that I work with, they actually are applying to three or four um, of the clients I work with, because I work with clients that have overlapping interests. And so I'm able to say, well, this client likes you to focus on this area. This other client likes you to focus in a slightly different area. And it, when it's all going on all cylinders and doing super well, that's awesome. But given that, let's talk about some of the mistakes that I've seen over the years. Right. And um, and ways we can like work through them. The first one I think I sort of mentioned before, which is people get in their proposals right at the deadline. And then there might be some little challenges that I notice when I'm skimming it. But at that point, if it's in there at the deadline, like they can still make the changes, but the trustees may have read the proposal already. And so that could be a challenge. So getting it in early. um, And then maybe if there's questions, they can like check in with me early. That works nicely. Another sort of mistake that I see is that the, the nonprofit is doesn't do they might read the website of the foundation um, and they might think that the proposal or inquiry that they're sending in meets what the guidelines are on the website the fact is that guidelines on a website are so high level right that that they need to dig in a little more and do a little more Google research and or really try to talk with me and find out or wh- whoever the program officer is or learn more about the trustee's interests before they move forward. And we can talk more about sense. that next with like right. the type of funder that they approach. Well, um, that lead, can I ask you a quick question? Because yeah. I think <laughs> one, you underscore something I thought would be the case that you you expect me as a nonprofit leader to do my homework I mean, you're, you're mm-hmm. happy. Of course, I, I guess you don't want me calling you the day before the deadline <laughs> with a lot right. of questions. Right. So if right. I'm, if I show that I've done some homework, um, but I think sometimes nonprofit leaders, fundraisers are a bit intimidated to reach out to a funder. And I know you can't speak for all of them, but it, it sounds like uh, with a respectful outreach, you're open. In fact, welcome the conversation because I guess it would improve the strength of applications you receive. Definitely. And let's talk about that more when I talk about the three different categories of funder, because depending on the kind of funder a nonprofit is talking to, and, you know, teaser, we'll talk about that in yeah, a minute. <laughs> That's, that <laughs> um, is exactly that, what I want. Yeah, that also links to the way you can approach the funder with information as well. 
Well, you've teed it up beautifully. All right. Let me ask the question, Sybil, that our, <laughs> the, this episode title suggests. Um, there's not just one kind of funder, obviously. And in fact, you would suggest there are three distinct types of funders. So talk about that and maybe you can give us an overview and then we'll look at each of the three. Yeah, this was one of those kind of realizations I had in the middle of the night. You know, like um, I was, I, I've been doing, I've been funding for like, I think over a decade before I made these categories in my head and it really helped me. So I'm just hoping it can help other folks too. Absolutely. So, yeah. So essentially, let me just explain just for really briefly, if it's okay, why I created the three categories and then I'll talk about them. Sure. Um, when I started out as a funder, when I, that you know, I told you that little story about how I moved from being a nonprofit professional to a funder. And I said, oh yeah, I can, I can do this. But then I realized, oh my gosh, it's very different being a funder. And then what happened too, when I first started out is, is people, funders, other funders would give me so much advice, which I really appreciated. But every funder that approached me told me, here's the way you need to fund to do it quote unquote correctly. Interesting. And I got so much conflicting advice. It was really confusing. And I was just, what I ended up doing is um, just moving forward. And, you know, the person I was working for had a particular way, the first family that I worked with. So I followed their advice. Um, But then I started working for more clients, more funders. And I realized that the advice that the first family was giving me is not really the approach that the other folks were doing. And they all felt very strongly about the way they, they wanted to fund. And it was all actually a little confusing. And I felt like I was trying, but then I navigated it and was helping the nonprofits sort of approach each donor. And in the middle of the night, I realized, oh my gosh, there are three distinctive types of donors and nonprofit professionals need to know this because then they can approach the donor knowing the kind of fun, not kind of funder they are, and they can get so much more money. Hey, <laughs> uh, that's music to okay, our listeners' so let's ears. Talk about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. perfect. <laughs> so there are three distinctive types of donors. Now, there, the, you know, it can be a little bit of a mush between the, uh, you know, sometimes they can be one or the other, but let's talk about the three. Right. It's sustainer campaigner or launcher funder. A sustainer funder is somebody who cares about an issue, sees a nonprofit and or nonprofits and feels like that nonprofit or nonprofits is doing everything that needs to be done, loves that nonprofit to accomplish the thing that that donor cares about. So for example, let's say the donor is an avid birder. They love birds. They travel around the world, love birds. They might really love Audubon, the organization. It's a nonprofit organization that focuses on birds and bird habitat. Exactly. So they're a sustainer funder. They just give Audubon money year after year. They um, love that. Okay, so that's a sustainer funder. Funder that just multi-year grants usually they usually don't they go on outings a lot with the group, but they they don't usually micromanage or do anything else. They just they just love the group. Okay, so that's a sustainer funder. A campaigner funder is very, very different. And and same with the launchers. We'll talk about that in a minute too. 
A campaigner kind of funder is a funder that is really worried about an issue and wants to change a societal norm. And what I mean by that is, let's say there's a funder who is super worried about climate change and they are really focused in on the fact that we are very dependent on fossil fuels and they're really concerned about the fact that our automobiles are mainly or fleets or you know trucks everything else are mainly dependent on using gas because right. it's a big greenhouse gas emission now our society right now is mainly leaning in to fossil fuel type cars right so this funder actually wants to change a societal norm they want to have cars and trucks and everything go electric yep. you know and use renewable yep. energy and while there's a lot of people talking about that and things are moving in that direction it definitely requires a major shift so it doesn't mean that this funder is wedded to any one nonprofit necessarily they want to fund a bunch of nonprofits that are doing public education around changing the societal norm and that usually means that the that it's a it's a very like more it's more of a year by year kind of grant scenario it can be multi year too but it's much more intensive and the funder is more wedded to that issue than they are to you as the nonprofit leader uh, so you yeah. need to know how to talk with that funder to talk about how your organization is digging into working in changing the societal norm that they care about. So Sybil, it's not the classic uh, capital campaign just because you're having a fundraising campaign, but in your definition, right, it's it's about being a change agent or your organization represents the kind of change agent effort that this funder wants to see. Exactly. And a lot of times those funders, they won't go to your fundraisers or they might, but they'll be bored. Exactly. I mean, they'll go, exactly. but they'll tell me afterwards, oh, I had to sit through that. You know, like that's not <laughs> where they want to be. Now, yes. sustainer funders love that. They love going to those events. They love networking. Um, and their sustainer funders are actually a lot of times what nonprofits, I think, are more used to, right? I agree. Um, because the historical. Already, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's like a but membership all... almost for them. And they feel like they're part of it and yeah. they, they go yeah. to everything and stay with you. Yeah. But, um, but campaigner funders can really offer wonderful value to your organization. Um, I work with a lot of clients that are campaigner type funders and I've seen just such amazing work done and partnerships. Oh, it's wonderful. So we'll talk back more about like how a nonprofit leader can communicate to be really effective with a campaigner funder well, in a minute. Wonderful. But and one more question there, Sybil, mm -hmm. that the campaigner, um, they like that you're making an effort, but they, they're also going to look at multiple organizations. Is that, yes. what, am I reading that correctly? So they're not just going to lock in on you. You have to understand they're looking for others to be part of their change agent motivation. Exactly. They're going to be leaning in. Um, sometimes they'll even hire their own expert in the field. Um, and and it, it can feel sometimes from the nonprofit perspective, because I've worked in the nonprofit world and worked with campaigner funders on that side, it can sometimes feel a little bit heavy handed. Um, 
And, yeah, you know, I actually have created a lesson plan for donors to help them if they want to be campaigner funders to be not too heavy handed and to still be supportive. So that's a whole nother conversation Good. there. But, right, right, right. but on the on the on the nonprofit side, the folks that are your listeners, um, there's really, you know, they if the nonprofits realize and know and accept and are OK with the fact that a campaigner funder is going to talk to multiple groups about the issue. You know, the nonprofits themselves, if, if the campaigner funder is calling all the different folks, nonprofits can talk to each other and sort of plan together about the kind of messaging they want to give to the campaigner funder. That's a good thing all the way around because then everyone's working together and sort of saying, here's the joint campaign we need money for. Um, and then that campaigner funder also can be really helpful in helping them fundraise with other funders around the issue. Um, and That's so there's a win win. Yeah, there's all these benefits there. But if um, if a nonprofit person is approaching a campaigner funder like they would a sustainer funder, they will lose them in one minute. Right away. Right. Yep. If they say, oh, please come to my general event or come to my <laughs> my bird watching trip or that's just not going to work for a campaigner funder. I've like, got to inspire. Right. I've got to yeah. inspire the campaigner that I'm doing something to create change. And, and yeah. I, I love the fact that you are reinforcing, I guess, collaboration. I've often said that it strengthens my case for fundraising. It sounds like for campaigner donors, if I can illustrate that I'm working with other nonprofits, is that fair? Do they like to see love collaboration that. within the love sector? Love that. Okay. Yeah. The thing that, the thing, of course, that's a challenge there. And, and, and I've seen this a lot is you know, nonprofits work together, but they also are a little competitive for funding. Exactly. And so they can make the mistake in, if they're talking with a campaigner funder to think that money is limited um, and start still feeling like if they're talking with other other nonprofits and coordinating together, that that means they might get less money. The reality right. is if you're talking to a campaigner funder and you're coordinating with other nonprofits, you're going to be able to get more money because the campaigner funder will get more excited. They'll be able to get more funders in. So it's a, it's actually this reverse thing that happens than what you think, where you actually bring in even more money, both to the issue you care about and potentially to your own organization. But I've seen it happen a lot where, where nonprofits think that they have to compete amongst each other. The other thing is you were talking about collaboration. Right. Um, you know, uh, one one thing that word of caution, though, with with campaigner funders is it's actually even though collaboration is important, I think experienced campaigner funders understand that nonprofits don't all agree on strategy. OK. And it's OK to talk to a campaigner funder about how different groups are approaching the problem differently it actually can do more damage than good if the nonprofits are all saying, oh, we have to force ourselves to agree. So like if there's a group that's super good with science and research, they approach a problem differently than maybe a group that's working on litigation and more comfortable in litigation on an issue. But that doesn't mean that they can't come together in a campaign and be really clear with the campaigner type funder about what their niche is in That's the campaign. A good point. So I, you know? I don't, I don't have to bash my nonprofit colleagues, but I can differentiate what I do. Yeah. Right. And then yeah. the funder, yeah. uh, particularly the campaigner will understand that we're all part of an ecosystem, I think in terms yeah. of attacking a certain issue. And not only that, they'll they'll love it because they'll they'll feel like you're being honest with them about where things are. Because honestly, I have to tell you, if you don't do it this way, where you're open, 
the funder starts hearing about it anyway, people will be like, I have to tell you behind yeah. the scenes, this person's pissing me off or blah, blah, blah. You don't want that. Yeah. You right? lose credibility in a hurry. Don't yeah, you? Exactly. Well, fantastic. And I'm now even more excited to hear about the third category um, because <laughs> yeah, the launcher funder. Yeah, there's a whole nother, a whole nother kind of category we yeah, need to talk about. Totally. So, um, so a launcher funder is a funder who loves to start new things and they love to find the gaps in an issue. And they think very similarly to a campaigner funder, like they want to be more in the, in the mix. Okay. Right. And an example of a, of a launcher funder, I'll, I'll keep it like the example sort of simple, but it can get pretty complicated, pretty fast in a positive, fun way. But um, so let's say you're somebody who um, lives in a neighborhood and you see an old abandoned parking lot and you think, oh, my gosh, this old abandoned parking lot could really be an amazing park. Right. It's like right in the middle of the community. It could really be wonderful. But there's no organization that exists to create that park. There's no like friends of X park. Right. And so you decide you want to create a nonprofit from scratch. So you're launching something um, and you find some neighbors that you want to partner with. And maybe there's one neighbor that is particularly interested in maybe really being like the executive director to start it up. And so you then put a whole as much you put more money in to start the organization up. And then you're pretty clear with everybody. You say, okay, I'm going to put more money in for the first like three years or so, but I'm going to taper off my funding over time so that as you build up, then you can create a membership base and you can be more sustainable over time and not just dependent on my funding. And actually it's, it's really required that you do that. You can't have create an organization and have your funding be the only thing over many years. Right. They would so be starting something, wouldn't they? Yeah. If, yeah. Right. So starting something from scratch. And, and I use that more simple example, but what I've seen is launcher funders at, at a more extreme, a good extreme example are more sort of like what I see in the business world. Like they're almost like venture capitalists where they're right. looking for these opportunities. They're finding amazing entrepreneurial individuals who have great ideas and bring up that there's some big gap and then they lean into those individuals and they support that work. Makes so, total sense. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're talking to a launcher funder, you as a nonprofit person, you know, let's say you're an executive director of a very well-established organization, you most likely have seen gaps in the field you care about. And so if you're talking to somebody who is, is talking to you like they're more of a launcher funder where they love to start new things up. You don't want to approach them like, oh, come to my annual event and that kind of thing. Instead, talk to them about the gaps you see and talk to them about the leaders you see that could fill that gap. And you never know what could happen there. It'd be so exciting. But do that's the to, way you'd approach a launcher funder. Yeah. But but do I need to, after successfully engaging a launcher funder, then I need to find another launch type initiative because yeah, they're not going to just settle into an ongoing kind of sustainer mindset, right? They're going to no. look for another spark. Um, but it, or you tell me, is that kind yes, of what you've seen? Exactly. Yes, I've seen that. So, um, you know, I actually just did a podcast episode in my podcast series with somebody who, um, who created a whole new group from scratch with launcher funders. Yep. And, and I was working for one of those funders that helped start that up. 
And, and in that situation, how I found out that there was a gap because this funder said, Sybil, find the gap in sustainable agriculture. That's what I had to work on (laughs) And, and find out the gap there and see what we need to help fill the gap. So I spent three months interviewing experts in the field and we figured out what the gap was and the, and we figured it out by talking to executive directors of established larger organizations who were saying, Hey, Sybil, one of the big issues is that far is that farmers are getting older and there's going to be, there's going to be a big turnover in, in farm farmland in Oregon. And how can we navigate this? And our organizations, we aren't covering this question right now, but we really think it needs to be, it's a gap that needs to be filled. And we also happen to know there's this wonderful woman who all she does is think about this issue every single day. Wow. So since I was working for a launcher funder at the time, I you know leaned in and then there was like three or four other funders that had even more resources than my client did. And they leaned in and now she's running an organization. She's got sort of a, a three-year window with a larger infusion of funds to get this organization off the ground. So that's the kind of thing that launcher funders think about. And the executive directors I worked with knew and because I could tell them this is what I'm looking for. They're like, oh, well, let's be creative, Sybil, you know? And um, it didn't end up going back to those larger organizations, the funding, but it really helped those organizations because it helped them fill a gap that they were sort of trying to scramble and deal with on the side. And they, it was t- sucking resources away and keeping out, keeping, you know, keeping them from being able to focus on their mission. So it helped everybody. I love that, Sybil. And, and it strikes me as a very important strategic planning topic for nonprofits who I think often, and I was guilty myself, you know, we just have our head down and we're just trying to figure out a way to convince you to fund what we've always been doing. And it seems to me, if we would pose that question, what is the gap that we can help fill? Um, that's going to be a more compelling conversation, right? Particularly for, if not campaigner, but certainly for a launcher. Um, but uh, would you agree that many nonprofits, again, just can't seem to get out of that silo of all of their historical fundraising strategies? And if they would engage in conversations like you suggest, they might open up a whole new world. 100%. Um, yes. And and like I was saying before, too, it, it, it doesn't work to approach somebody, who a funder who's thinking about things in campaign or launch um, strategies like they're a sustainer funder. It doesn't exactly. work to just say, hey, you just need to give me year after year funding over and over. You, <laughs> right, you right. Know. But that's where I was, I did do want to emphasize though that a lot of sustainer and campaigner funders really do care about the nonprofits, the core nonprofits that are working on the issues. Right. So so after, you know, if you're talking with a campaigner or a launcher funder, they they may have the resources to also give year after year funding. Um, It's just that that's not the first conversation you have with them, right? Such a good point. And again, Mm -hmm. I I just have to underline uh, for all our fundraising friends listening, because I think a mistake we make is we feel like we can polish our case so uh, in such a compelling manner that we can just go in and win over the funder, right? And, And you're saying, Sybil, no, the first question you need to ask 
is in what category does this funder fall? And that would shape our conversation. Exactly. Exactly. And um, let's, is it okay if we just talk a little bit about um, a few just logistics of each thing too, because I feel like that might be helpful for your listeners a little bit. Exactly. Uh, Now that we've kind of addressed that philosophic uh, stance of, all right, we've identified what our funder might be. Yeah. Tell us how then do we approach these different categories of funder? Yeah, well, so um, it, of course, the sustainer funder is the happy place for a nonprofit because you know that a sustainer funder gives you multi-year grants, general support grants. So you can do whatever you feel you need to do. You sort of have limited interaction with the donor once you've created that relationship, um, and the donor tends to trust the nonprofit's take on on their on on where things are. So the main thing is to just keep up that trusting relationship. Yeah, makes so sense. So those are those are wonderful relationships, and they can they can really sustain a majority of the organization of your organization. And you know, in the end, you might decide as a board, um, and if you're the executive director, that that's really the only kind of funder you want in your organization. Right. That's totally fine, um, but just be clear with that with yourself too. Then don't start trying to pursue campaigner funders or launcher funders. Okay, because that'll really get you in trouble and your staff will sort of be like, well, why are you pushing me to do this and this? You know, it feels like you're just funder driven. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So that's the sustainer funder approach. Um, If you want to go into the campaigner funder arena, the things to sort of eyes wide open is that these are more short-term grants, very focused on an outcome. Um, And A lot of times, as you're going to be working not just with the trustees, you may not even know the trustees. Um, You may be talking with someone like me. Yeah, um, exactly. Or an expert consultant or a facilitator. And and it's a whole different world there. And you've got to be you've got to be comfortable with the fact that you might have a huge infusion of funding for like two or three years and maybe up to the millions to help kick something over the finish line. Um, But then after that, that money is going to dry up. Um, so that's something that you and your organization will want to think about. Do you want to yes. lean into this arena? But you really can reap great rewards because it's changing a societal norm, something that you may feel is really needed to be able to achieve your organization's overall mission. So when it works, it works super well, but it will take a lot more time. Yeah, exactly. Makes total sense. And the mistake I do see here is that sometimes when I'm working for campaigner funders and I'm doing that, giving a larger infusion of funding to an organization to help them change a societal norm through public education campaigns, they'll then come back to me two, three years later after they've they've moved forward on this. And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't have funding for that piece anymore, but I can help you maybe find donors that can do sustainer funding for you. Um, but it is something you need to plan for the other end of it because right. it's it doesn't continue forever. Right. Got it. And yeah, and that's very similar with being a launcher funder. It's shorter term grants with an infusion of funding and then a responsibility to then try to make sure there's a base of sustainer funders. Um, all the organizations that I work with do have a base of sustainer funders, even if they are adding campaigns or launching new things as well. Do you see Sybil trends? toward any of these three, or do you find that they are relatively balanced? I, I would speculate that more and more funders are moving into campaigner and launcher categories. 
but maybe you see, no, there's still a pretty good balance amongst the three. Patton, I'm so glad you asked that question because I actually think the opposite is happening right now. Good. Um, I think that, you know, there's a really big push right now um, to for funders to focus in on something called trust-based philanthropy. And it trust-based philanthropy, you can there we should link the link to trust-based philanthropy website in in our in the show notes if we'll you can do. because yeah. that is uh trust-based philanthropy actually is very much leaning into sustainer strategies, sustainer funder strategies. And um there's folks in the philanthropic community and in the nonprofit community that are saying funders just give us multi-year grants stop doing campaign and launcher type funding good and i think the reason for that is that funders have sort of tried to do campaign and launcher funding without identifying that that's what they're doing and then have caused some real tension in the nonprofit community and how they're doing that agree and so i actually have created a course um, to try to help funders approach nonprofits in a more transparent way when they want to be campaigner or launcher funders versus sustainer funders. I'm excited to lift that up because that course I think is necessary because you're right. I think a lot of our nonprofit colleagues feel the pressure that I've got to impress you with some bright new shiny initiative when in fact, maybe the funder should just help me keep doing the good work I'm doing now. And it sounds like you're seeing some optimistic signs in that direction. Exactly. Yeah. And though at the same time, I don't want the wonderful nonprofits in the world to end up missing out on the resources and the positive sides of things that can happen when they work with campaigner or launcher funders. One thing I'm worrying about in this new trend of focused on trust-based philanthropy is that that people who are focused only on the sustainer funder side they'll miss out on these great opportunities to raise money for things they really care about on campaigns and launching new things. Great point. And again, I like that you've kind of lifted our eyes to outside of the silos we're in because we may in fact have launching opportunities that are consistent with our mission and with our programming and there might be other funding opportunities for us. Yeah, and and a word of warning is like you know, if, if we don't, and if the groups and nonprofits don't try to lean in on some of these campaigns and launching strategies and work with donors who care about that, those donors will just go somewhere else. Right. Um, and you may never even know that you lost the opportunity. Um, so, but I can tell you, like, I'll be in meetings where, where there'll be a big discussion about trust-based philanthropy or sustainer funder strategies. And some of the funders that focus in on sustainer funding will be pushing really hard to have that be the only way to fund. And I'll get, and the people who are campaigner or launcher funders, they just don't talk during the meeting. And then they'll call me afterwards and they, they'll say, okay, well, I'm, I don't know I'm doing do. something I'm else. Gonna, yes. <laughs> right. And yeah, I mean that, that I'm, I think that's okay if, if it's deliberate decision by the nonprofit to sort of just say, okay, campaigner and launcher funders, we don't want your money. And yeah, that, if that's but, a deliberate decision, but I have to tell you, I don't think it really is. So I just, I, I wouldn't want that to happen either to go too extreme the other way. That's why I feel like there's no one right way to fund. There's for me, there's three categories that I created that make a lot of sense but you can mix and match these and really be effective as a nonprofit leader 
by approaching donors based on where they're at and how they like to fund as well. And you can really have make a big difference that way. Yeah, that alone is a wonderful takeaway from this conversation, Sybil. And for that, I'm grateful. And you've made another comment that, that I think is, is uh, fascinating that some of these funders are in fact kind of stuck in a funder bubble. Uh, what do you mean by that? And, and how as a nonprofit leader, can I break through that funder bubble? Oh my gosh. Yeah. So, and <laughs> I have to say, I worry that I'm in one too, right? I mean, I've been doing, I've been a funder now for over 10 years. Right, right. And it's, it's a big fear of mine. And I'm sure that I make mistakes. Um, the problem, the problem that I see, and, you know, I have so many clients, so no one will ever know who I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good. Right. Right. But, but I, in part, I created my whole program called Do Your Good in part because of the concern that I see where funders, because they come from wealth, they tend to not always get feedback that will help them be better funders. And what I mean by that is they don't always get feedback from nonprofits that sort of say, hey, funder, you're, you're not doing the right thing here. We don't agree with you. You don't, you don't get that a lot when you're a donor. And um, can I tell you a quick story about what I mean? And then we can talk about ways to stay out of a funder, like ways uh, that absolutely. I recommend. Absolutely. That, that yeah. may help illustrate the point. More. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I was a nonprofit leader, like I said, and then one of the funders that funded my work asked me to run his foundation. So that's what I first did. I was executive director of one foundation before I started working for many foundations. Right. The first day that I went from being a nonprofit person, and I was working um, at the Oregon League of Conservation Voters before I moved over to run this foundation. Okay. And at the League of Conservation Voters, the Oregon chapter, um, it was it was I was in the in the middle of it all, right? And uh, nonprofits disagreeing over strategy, and me helping navigate that, and it was always in the trenches, right? And then I went over to my nonprofit, excuse me, my funder job. And I turned on my computer the first day I was in the office. And every single email I had in my inbox was, Sybil, hi, how are you? I hope you're having a good day. And these are from people that just like a week ago, I knew were mad at me because of something. Funny how perspectives change, huh? Yes. And I said to myself, oh my gosh, this is really dangerous. You know, there's no way that in one week people went from, you know, debating really hard issues with me to telling me I'm the best thing since sliced bread. I am not the best thing since sliced bread. <laughs> and so that was over 10 years ago. And I've tried to, I've tried, and that's what I call a funder bubble is when you just incorrectly think you're the best thing in the world yes. and incorrectly think everything you say is correct. And that's just doesn't make for somebody, you know, people learn from failure. They learn from criticism and, you know, constructive criticism. And if you're in the funder bubble, you stop getting that. And that's when you stop making good decisions. And when you, that if you're in a funder bubble, you stop um, really helping the field because you don't even know when you're causing problems. And so um, in my course, I try to help donors and funders stay out of that funder bubble. And it's really a little bit about this, not a little, a lot about the power imbalance as well, which is a real problem in this funder world. 
Right. And so I'm trying to help donors do that. But for your listeners, since you're talking with nonprofit professionals, there's strategies nonprofits can use to get to help donors stay out of that funder bubble and to help them be effective with you. And I actually think, you know, I love it when a nonprofit person is real with me versus, oh, yes, I agree with you, you know. So I I love it too. And I think donors like it as well. And one of the reasons I think that I work so well with my clients that are donors is because I'm not just telling them they're right all the time. You know, we are having real debates over issues and that's really important. So instead of just telling the funder exactly what I think they want to hear, you're uh, saying maybe politely I could say, well, have you thought about this or or what literally would you do to is that what you mean? Try to steer the conversation? Yeah, instead of just throwing out a laundry list of stuff that you think that a donor might care about and then right. telling them how great they are and laughing at their jokes. Um, instead of that, be real, you know, um, say, okay, first of all, you need to know who you're talking to, sustainer, campaigner, or launcher type funder, because it's a different kind of conversation. Yeah. Exactly. If you're talking to somebody who's a sustainer funder who really loves your group and wants to fund you year after year, you can talk to them about all the great things you're doing, but also talk about the challenges and, and talk about how you're trying to overcome those challenges. And then if the donor is offering suggestions, you can push back on them. You can say, oh, you know, you can acknowledge the challenge, but saying, well, you know, actually, this is how we're going to do it. But what do you think? Bring them in as a partner. Um, but then also don't feel, be afraid to push back. Um, and especially if they're a sustainer funder, they love your group. They want to keep funding you. Yeah, exactly. So, but 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 don't let them dominate that. You know, push back in a friendly way. And if they respect you, they'll. If they if they're not going to take that well, then you may not want to have to get funding from them. I mean, yeah, you want to have a real relationship. Exactly. If I have yeah. to be artificial in that conversation, that's not going to work in the long run anyway. Exactly. And if you're talking to a campaigner funder, that's even more important place where you want to be able to push back because. Um, you know, campaigns are complicated. They're hard. Um, a lot of times the nonprofits are the ones navigating any disagreements and other things, and they're not always doing it in front of the funder because they don't feel comfortable. And so the funder can be hearing sort of incorrect information from one or two fund, uh, excuse me, nonprofits. It can get complicated. And so it's really, really important that the nonprofits are just really real with the donor. Yep, and they just sort of say, here's where we're agreeing. Here's where we're not agreeing. And if the donor starts, you know, again, if there's a certain level where you have to decide, okay, if this donor is meddling too much, we just don't want their money. Right. But I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised as a nonprofit professional if you do more pushing back. Um, I've had lots of experiences where I've made mistakes. And um, I just had one a couple of weeks ago. I was, um, I'm working on a campaign for one of my clients. And I'm so into it. Like I'm, I, and I know the nonprofit super well in this field, in this area, and I'm working on it. I'm leaning in and a couple of the nonprofits asked me to facilitate a meeting because I love uh, facilitate, facilitating meetings. So I was sure. like, sure, I'll do it. Da, da, yeah. da. And I'm going full force. And then one of my, um, co- one of my grantees, who's also, I've known him for like 15 years. Um, he called me up and he's like, Sybil, you know, I feel a little uncomfortable with you being in the room for this conversation. We're going to, we have some serious disagreements. I know that we'll all be able to talk to you later, but having a funder in the room for this one, isn't a good idea. I'm like, sure. Great. I'll, I thank you so much for telling me no problem. 
I, I, you know, overdid my bounds here to getting in there. So I have the date that I know works for you all. You all do it. And then, you know, tell me how it goes afterwards. Right. So sometimes right. it's also just stepping out of the room, but having some, having the nonprofits be able to tell you that, like, gosh, I would have really messed up if I had, <laughs> I was doing like all the problems that I told everyone not to do, but it's because I had that trusting relationship with one of the nonprofits. They were able to tell me the executive director could call me up and say, so, well, can we have this meeting alone? And, and I said, sure, you know, no problem. Good illustration. Um, yeah. 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 Well, Sybil, this is fantastic. I'm looking at a page of notes here. And if among many things here, I just think this whole perspective <laughs> of looking at these distinct funder kind of categories uh, can be game changing for a lot of nonprofit leaders who I think, again, start with their kind of self view of their case instead of considering where they might be able to connect with these donors, depending on which category they fall. Um, so thank you for that. And, and I guess you, you've, you've been one and you certainly talked to many more. Is there any other advice you'd offer kind of in closing? If someone says, Hey, civil, I'm thinking about getting into nonprofit leadership. What else would you tell them maybe to guide them along this journey? Oh my gosh. So many wonderful thoughts. And thank you for asking that question. Um, I just, I feel like being real, being yourself, being true to your passion. This is a passion business, yes. right? This is something where we're, we're, we're doing this because we care about making the world a better place and whatever issue that you care about is the most amazing place to be. Um, it's also one of the hardest. It's so challenging, um, because you know, you're, you're trying to trying to really do good in the world. And it's, it's, it's not easy. So I don't know, just my, my words of advice is, you know, donors see that people who want to give money to important causes they care about, they'll see you, they'll see you if you're genuine, they'll see you if you're real, um, they'll appreciate you if you're real, and they really want to help you succeed. You know, we're all in this um, for, for the good. Well put. Thank you for the encouragement because it can be a lonely world as a nonprofit leader and there are always challenges, but that's great to hear, especially since you know the voice of the funder and uh, that they are trying to help as well. Uh, if I can ask one more parting gift, as you know, I like to encourage a recommendation. So Sybil, has there been a book that's been meaningful to you or that you recommend to others in this uh, conversation? Yeah, Pat, and I've, I've thought about this because I heard your other podcast where you asked the same question, and <laughs> I was actually a little bit perplexed by the question, because I have to tell you that I, I'm not, I actually am not going to recommend a step-by-step -step guide kind of book, which there are plenty of That's wonderful okay. ones out there. That's okay. But I love thinking... I love thinking between the lines, <laughs> at least I try to. Yeah. And the person who I really like is Malcolm Gladwell. And the book Outliers is oh, awesome. Yeah. Um, but I've read almost all of his books. And now I'm obsessively listening to his podcast, Revisionist History. So I just, I think that, um, I actually think it, it is sort of helpful to sort of, with when we're thinking about changing the world and making it a better place, to think a lot about the fact, in my mind, the fact that, that there is no one right way, that there's lots of interesting approaches and ways to find solutions. And I love that Malcolm Gladwell is always asking those questions. And so that's why I recommend him 
<laughs> and his books. Delighted to lift that up. I have, I think, almost every one of his books on the shelf behind me. And you're right. I just think it's so powerful to to read uh, things like that, that just gets your brain turning in maybe a different direction than it usually does. So thank you, Sybil, for adding that to our uh, list of book recommendations. And where can people go to find out more about you and the great work you're doing through Do Your Good? Thanks, Patton. So um, so they can go on to my website, which is doyourgood.com, www.doyourgood.com. And I also have a course that I'm offering. The cart opens on June 7th, but there's also a special early bird uh, opportunity. And my course, I'm, I'm limiting it to only a small number of people so that I can really help be one-on-one with, with them. My course is called Crack the Code, Sybil's Step-by-Step Guide to Successful Philanthropy. And I suggest that, you know, if there's anyone who's interested in, you know, really understanding how donors think and how to be an effective fundraiser, this course can be helpful for you. And I really break up, break apart the sustainer, campaigner, and launcher strategies. I talk about the best way to present budgets. I talk about a whole bunch of things. And so um, again, the card opens on June 7th, but I also have podcasts and all these other resources that you can check out on my website. Thanks. Delighted to lift those up. Several great resources, certainly for nonprofit leaders themselves, but also maybe the funders we uh, know and have friends in that category that may want to check you out, uh, especially for the expertise you provide there. So for all this and much more, Sybil, thank you for joining me on the path. Thank you, Patton. It's been delightful. Well, I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Sybil as much as I did and came away with some practical ideas that can guide your next conversation with a major donor or prospect to your nonprofit organization. Don't forget the show notes. They are available on our website, PattonMcDowell.com, where you can find more about Sybil, the great work she's doing, as well as our podcast called Do Your Good and her new Crack the Code course, which comes out June 7, 2021. That's next week if you're listening to this episode as it's released. As always, please share this episode with someone else on the path. And if you haven't already, you can subscribe. Just go to the podcast page at patmcdowell.com and you'll see links to all of the primary podcast platforms. Don't miss out on any of our weekly episodes. They come out every Thursday as well as bonus features we're producing at least once a month. Thanks for all you're doing in the nonprofit sector, especially right now. And keep up the good work for causes that are most meaningful to you. I'll keep bringing you content that can help you do it even better. Have a great week, and I'll see you next time on The Path.